Welcome to another episode on Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. You know, I've been doing this quite some time, and so taking a, a I don't say not a small twist, but I think trying to refine what it is that I'm truly after and speaking with so many people and, and, and recently so many of my, my topics have been around AI and I think that will continue to be part of a lot of the conversations. But I think where the narrative is, has continued to push my thinking is, is less on like, ooh, what's the new shiny object and tool and, and more on what does it mean for humanity and the stories that I think are, are starting to come to light, whether that's things we've glossed over and in, in the past that AI is kind of bringing back to the forefront of things we should think about or just other things in general. And so today I am really, really excited to bring on a guest to the show where this is actually our first time truly having a, a verbal conversation. We have connected many times through LinkedIn and having conversations back and forth that way. And so I'm really excited to, to, to see uh, where this conversation goes. And so the guest I have today is none other than Elizabeth Allen. So Elizabeth, welcome to the show. And I'll let you introduce yourself. You have quite the track record. You do so many awesome things. So we'll start off with who are you? What do you do? And uh, what in the world do you got going on? Thank you. Very nice to meet you. It, formerly Aaron. I am an educator. I've been an educator for quite some time. Um, this is going to be, I think, year 15 for me. Uh, I started in this world in yoga teaching. Uh, strange enough, I actually was a yoga instructor, but my family took positions teaching in South Korea, and then suddenly half my family was there. My dad was teaching there. My sister was teaching there. I started teaching there, and then I brought my brother to teach in South Korea. So all of the children and my, my dad, after he retired, were all teachers for that period of time, and I'm the only one that stuck with it. <laughs> I really enjoy it. But in terms of like innovation, it puts your mind in a different place when you are around innovation. And South Korea has always been a very, uh, very um, respectful educator environment. So it was kind of fun to have the first three years there. Um, but yeah, so I've, I've been I've been doing a lot um, since then. Right now, I work for a, a non well a, a for profit called Science Matters in America, and it's an after school program that does hands on learning and enrichment. We are at 36 schools in Arizona, and we're also in Colorado and in New Mexico. And currently, whew, our CEO is 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 running operations in this state, but he has to fly down for it. So it's it's a lot of hats, and there's a lot of teachers that work really hard to make it possible because for them, most of them, it's their second job. So yeah, mm. thank you so much for having me on the show. In terms of AI, I know you've been working really hard on making sure that educators are informed on how to use these tools. I really appreciate it. So if you want to elaborate on what are some things that that we can do in terms of using these different programs to to make best use of our time, I I'd love to talk more about that. Yeah, absolutely, and I. I Definitely want to get there, but I also want to start a little bit, and you've already alluded to this a little bit too of, um, I mean, as people, I got my awesome Scooby-Doo shirt on today, but people know if they listen to the show that I'm a huge comic book junkie, primarily Spider-Man fan. So I've been asking guests, you know, kind of what's your, 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 your superhero journey. And so you've already alluded to that a little bit. You've got a vast background that I think about where I live here in Iowa and the educators that I know in the schools I support, you know, not everybody has taught or lived in other countries or other places. Maybe we shifted cities or maybe a state here or there. So I do want to start at least highlight that because one of the things that I have come to appreciate about you so much, uh, along with your work and your insight, is you truly not only have a global network, but kind of a, a really a, a global perspective. Not that you have a pulse on every single country, but like you, you, you have a diverse lens that you know, someone like me, I have a, a local filter bubble of the Midwest of the United States. I grew up in Indiana. I live in Iowa, period. Well, I, I want to start there and, and then get into this AI piece, but I think your, your kind of background is, is, is really instrumental in the ideas that you continue to bring into the conversations online. So could you talk a little bit more about kind of not your whole life story and upbringing, but, but some of your diverse backdrop in, that, in, in, in the workforce and the connections you have uh, before we get into the AI? Sure. I think a big part of it is kind of just being a learner at heart. 
and embracing different types of learning styles by trying different things yourself and not giving up. I mean, I love that you brought Spider-Man in because I think Spider-Man always has that like affect of like self self-deprecation, but he doesn't give up. And I feel like that is definitely like the teacher story or the student story in so many cultures. And we share that uh, across the boards and in the globe. Um, I know and have been very fortunate to meet some amazing people around the world. And I think that one of the strengths of educators is that we don't give up. We do adapt. We learn really quickly. And even when there's huge challenges, um, it may not be venom, but (laughs) sometimes it feels like it when your kids are not doing as great as you'd like them to do because it's something that has nothing to do with them. Like It was like, you have to really get past that. So I think every teacher has a hero story if they're still waking up every day and getting into the classroom and doing their best. So I think that we kind of all share that on, on every level in every country so that's kind of cool yeah you know and so as we we're we have crossed paths because of the of the ai conversations which is uh what we want to get into today and so maybe to kind of cue things up because something that i think is like super uber uber cool that you get to do and not that you have to share like insider trade secrets but one of the things that you have one of the 10,000 hats that you wear is you get to be a beta tester for, for Google Bard. And so I, I want to start there in terms of, you know, as, as you're testing, not that you're going to give, you know, insights into all the things that are coming, but as, as you're testing these products and, and, and then you're seeing the conversation, the landscape of, of education, but society and also online, you know, where are you? Where's your headspace and processing? You know, I think about when Chat GPT launched, you know, 15, 16 months ago when kind of the whole world became aware of generative AI and a lot has happened since then, but also in some spaces, very little has happened. You know, what are you seeing? What are the trends? What are the things that maybe bring excitement, but also maybe some, some cautious stuff? And, um, you know, as, as you get to kind of dabble in that forefront of, of stuff, in this case with Google Bard, but we could insert, you know, any company that's, you know, if Google does something, it's not too long before Microsoft does it or ChatGPT, and they'd all just kind of keep going in this endless circle of trying to one up each other. Uh, but I'm curious, from your perspective, what are what are some things that you're you're feeling, seeing, thinking, processing as you've been trying to dabble, not just dabble, but explore AI? Thank you, um, and I would say it's, it's been really fun to to interact with with what you're bringing to Iowa. Some of the stuff that you brought out with Watson, I I didn't know about some of the other forms of AI until I started following your work. So thank you for doing that. A lot of times I feel like we have so many tools in education, but a big barrier is just the time to learn them. And you've yeah. done a great job of trying to simplify and make those tools easier to understand. So I would say for me, I've been trying to understand how best to use Bard and I spend about five to six hours. I don't spend more than an hour a day on it um, just to try and understand how to to use this really cool tool. But I feel as though I'm just at the beginning. I know Mm -hmm. that for some of my fellow educators, they've already given workshops on how to do AI in art with the Arizona Science Center and already trained teachers on how to do this. So again, yeah. you say 16 months, but I, I was like, oh, well, he did that last year. So again, <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, we're competitive in our own way. But a lot of it is just self-learning and how to know what tools to use that can maximize your time. I like that when you ask Bard questions directly, um, it will tell you it's not always right. It's not always true. And it always wants the feedback when it's not correct. Um, so it tries really hard, but it's not released to the public because I think there are so many concerns still. And I think that's a big fear factor. Yeah. So as you've been, you know, beta testing for Bard, but I know just all of us are trying to figure out what AI means like for us individually, like in our own workflow and processing and thinking, you know, how how has, has AI played a role in, in your own kind of learning journey, your work as an educator, you know, trying to help students and, and classrooms and your and yourself you know what, what what what's been kind of your journey exploring this kind of ai ecosystem and as it's starting to get its its, its fingers in you know pretty much everything and, and every aspect of life things i kind of so far just with bard and i i wish i could speak to watson or chat gpt um my brother's actually the one that told me about chat gpt because he lives in qatar now and so mm. he's been training into the tech realm and when he mentioned 
that this existed. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, they're already on generation three. Like sister, you're behind. (laughs) And and I I think is a a very, uh, like even the CEO felt like had this conversation last time he was out with science daughters. He's like, education will always be behind. And I was like, I don't think that's the way it's supposed to be. Like, I feel like Mm -hmm. we're the ones that interact with kids and they are the quickest learners out there. But for all of this AI, you cannot legally expose it to anybody under 13. And I wish that they put more emphasis on that because kids, you give them a smartphone at any age and they will figure it out. Now, AI, I think has been okay in terms of how it interacts um, with the BARD program, but there's no wall to say if you're a certain age. To, mm-hmm. to enter this program. And I know that even for companies like just using Alexa, just as a verbal prompt, there's been a lot of legal concern as to the ages of the de- information that's being gathered. So I think you have to be super careful with how educators move forward. I think the high school kids, if they have their own smartphones, um, I asked an IT person at a campus yesterday because it's coming up and I was like, how's this impacting your district? How are you doing? And he's like, I mostly deal with hardware. He's like, we just block everything. We block the sites. But if the kids come in and they have a smartphone with their own phone number, then they'll just get around it. So I think a big part of it is, well, rather than get around it, the people that create the programs are put in an ethical spot where they're yeah. asked to make sure that the content they're presenting first is true, can tell the difference between true and false. Which I feel, uh, even in BARD, it knows that it can't always tell the difference between true data and false data. Now, that's a huge concern. If I tell you, especially in the science world, that data could be true or false, that's a very big factor in terms of making <laughs> sure that my yeah. data is true. So if I give you, you know, 10,000 input, input points to say that this is true, 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 just because I'm telling you it's true doesn't make it true. So again, it's knowing how to discern data correctly. I think that's the biggest message in making sure that AI is ethical, discerning true data from false data. Yeah, I think you. that's, that's such a key point, and it's something I've, I've been trying to wrap my head around of how to take that very concept that you just mentioned there and how do we make that like tangible to educate ourselves as professionals and as adults to then be able to turn around and help students and and, and children because I feel like I have said that and I completely agree with you so many times but then when I sit down and think about okay well Aaron if you were in the classroom right now in a class of 30 or whatever your class size is and you're teaching and you know AI is in there, how would I go about actually teaching the mindset and the skill sets to be able to do that? And to me, that is where I have been trying to figure out how to be better at creating like not just lessons, but the structures to to help students and ourselves, so the professionals, understand that very thing, um, because I think it's 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 easier said than done. And I think about you know to compound that with the other thing. So the safety route is for a lot of schools and districts is just to block all the things. But now we've got what I believe is a huge, exponentially growing digital divide of those that do and do not have devices or families that allow kids to use those platforms or not use them or don't even have access to them. And I think about my own children. I have a a freshman in college. I have a a daughter that's a junior in high school and I have a seventh grade daughter and they're not using chat GPT or Bard. Like they're not, they don't care. They're not wowed by it. But you know what they are using is Snapchat's AI. They're using the AI that's in the spaces in which they live and breathe. And I feel like, well, I'm trying to figure out how do we help education be proactive to get in, in front of this. We still have so many schools and districts that don't even know how to even log into ChatGPT. And that's not even the platform that kids are already gravitating to after gravitating to. And so I feel like we're already behind kind of going back to your <laughs> uh, CEO's mindset, which is which is sad and, and, and unfortunate. Like, how do we work through and process this? And I'm not expecting you to have the answer. I'm just kind of verbal uh, vomiting some ideas based on what you shared there. And so those are the some really great ideas that I think we're, we're all trying to grapple with. Yeah, I think you're, you're right. Um, because 
it's not just us that's going to face. It's all of your kids and all of that generation and all the upcoming generation of students. I would say that the first time that I had that question was actually from a student. I was in a, a student interview panel for a position at a very nice private school in Utah, and the kids interview you. So if you don't make the kids interview, then you don't get hired. No, mm. I unfortunately I did decline. I was offered the position. I declined it. But the students were excellent. They were from all around the world. And they just asked me straight out in my environmental science class, would I allow them to use AI? And I asked them, have you been able to use it this far this year? And some of them kind of just looked at me like a smile. Like, yeah, they did use it, but they didn't want to tell me that they used it. But they're asking because they want to know, do they have permission? Is that whole like forgiveness, you know, ask for forgiveness, don't ask for permission. And I'm just like, to me, that's kind of where your daughters are at, is they're in that world. Now, we have just given them permission at about 40 different universities. That's the the coolest news, right? So Oxford and 40 different universities around the world have decided yes, we are allowed to use AI in a certain way. So I think the biggest thing is how that certain way goes for every single school is going to set a tone because that's typically how it goes with education. If you have very prestigious universities accepting of it, then it will be used, but it's just how to make sure that it's used in an ethical way. So the horse is out of the barn. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, you you touched upon something that's really fascinating, the fact that we're starting to see these partnerships um, develop, you know, with, you know, even with, with OpenAI, I think, you know, partnered with Arizona State here in the last week or so at the time of this recording. You know, what does that look like? Um, you know, I know like OpenAI has now also launched like the Teams feature. You know, Microsoft is going to have that. I mean, Google is going to have that at some point, which I think is going to allow for districts to kind of have their own, you know, not a server, but like their own AI space where, you know, they can start to have privacy and the data protected because it's not going to be feeding into the bigger machines and this idea of let's block stuff when all of a sudden man it's just going to be right there and then and then what right how do we you know keep our mindset going and so i think it it is going to be a fascinating case study as these universities start to wrap their head around it because that is going to have a trickle-down effect, especially as we think about high schools preparing. And, you know, that's that kind of domino effect. What's that mean for middle school and, and, and so forth? So it's it's it, it's a really, really interesting piece. You know, I know you you mentioned at the, at the top of the show that who you work for has got several programs in Arizona. I mean, does that news of OpenAI is, is working with Arizona State, does that have impact on your guys' conversations and thinking about planning? Or is that, I mean, because it's more local to you to say like here in Iowa um, or is it just boy there's, there's another headline to kind of have like track but but not real significant I think it really depends on what the individual districts decide because yeah. in Arizona we also have an enormous amount of charter schools so the charters yeah. are kind of able to they set what they choose to adopt in terms of curriculum standards ASU had um, Saul Khan is one from Khan Academy, the founder of Khan Academy. They've had him working on his own world school within the ASU umbrella. And I was lucky enough to be in um, his talk last week. Now, I just I just sat there and observed. I didn't say anything. But he right. talked about the EI tutoring school in his math program. And I'm like, oh, that's great. Like, that's so cool. Because my one big critique of Khan Academy is that most kids don't have an hour to see one problem explained. And if you have an AI tutor, you maybe have 15, 20 minutes for your math specific homework. And then you got to get to the rest of your homework, especially mm-hmm. the higher you get in math, the more time it takes to do all the work that's required for just understanding the concept. So I really hope, and it sounds like they're doing really good things in terms of letting students move forward at their own pace. I see that as really cool because AI is able to make it an algorithm specific to you as a learner or specific to you as a teacher. And it just kind of hands you more of what you've been looking for. And that's the same understanding of the echo chamber. Most of us are familiar with social media and how those echo chambers work, which are really just algorithms giving you more information to try and keep your attention there. So it's fun, but it's also like, let's see how you can use this and change those algorithms to make students more conscious of what it is they really are trying to learn. And I think that comes down to how do you have an intuitive user interface? And I don't know that we're there yet, but I know they've been doing better with how to read intuition based on behavioral data. 
every company mm-hmm. is kind of different when it comes to that. And again, you need a tech person pretty much to jump into that part, that point when they really they're the ones writing the code. Um, but I think they can do better, and they've been trying to do better. Yeah, you you unearth a, a stone there that I think not a lot of us um, who maybe aren't living and breathing, or uh, or at least people like me, where I get my dopamine hits by the constant updates of what's happening in AI. And I know when I go out and support schools, you know, most educators and, and administrators, they're, they're barely surviving just with the day-to-day operations. They're, they don't have the time or the cognitive capacity to just then go and sift through all AI updates every single day because there's so many. Like there's just too many other fires they're trying to put out. Not that they're not capable, but, you know, we only have so much energy in a day. And And you're talking here about data and we've all talked data and we talk privacy and we talk those things but you're you mentioned that kind of behavioral data which is a whole realm that i think a lot of people can't wrap their head around um yet and they're not even aware of what that means and even though it happens to to all of us on a daily basis i mean it happened to me literally this morning i woke up to go work out and i was like you know what i'm gonna sit here for five minutes and just take a minute. So I, I opened up TikTok. And next thing I know, 10 minutes went by. So I had to text my buddy and be like, hey, I'm running late. And the only reason I'm running late is because the algorithm sucked me in and time, that, yeah. you know, time evaporated. But the reason that happened is they know, like, the algorithms know exactly what's going to get me to swipe or, or stay glued to the screen. And so I think, you know, understanding that piece and, you know, what is that data? What what do these companies have on us? You know, and sometimes I think it's kind of scary that they probably know more about ourselves than we know about ourselves. <laughs> I think they would like to think so. <laughs> I think that's, how they, that's how they sell into their advertisers. Yeah. The data. I think that they specifically focus on hiring neuroscientists and they pay them much better than most hospitals to understand the mind and how that mm-hmm. data is processed. I know that uh, when I asked AI Bard, because that was some of my first conversations with AI Bard, was, hey, are you ethical? Are you ethical? How are you really ethical? Your company is based out of California, but you're all around the world. So do you have to go by the rules of the United States? Mm-hmm. And it's, well, we go by the rules of Google. <laughs> and it was really nice about it. And so if you, if you understand that that's what you're getting yourself into, you're kind of like, okay, we're, it's capitalism. It's capitalism. But it's capitalism in how do we use this form to make our students happier, more successful, more engaged. And I think that a lot of the programs that we've seen are kind of more just to get your attention. And Mm -hmm. it's how do we switch the algorithm? So we can't necessarily go in and create laws to say you have to have an ethical algorithm because most lawyers charge a lot to go in and put those cases up front and say, hey, listen, we know you've been collecting data on under 30. That's not ethical. And you didn't agree to it. But they still do. And I don't I'm not trying to like get on their case because that right. is their, their market. That's their future market. And so they of course are paying attention to it. But you have to do your best to make sure that what you're presenting across the boards in an open world format. Because we are. We're like what we create in the United States online goes around the world many, many times. So you have to do your best to create something that can help others and not something that's going to derail them. And I think that that was one of my biggest like aha moments when I learned from my brother that the algorithms set on TikTok are different per country. So there's mm. specific algorithms that they change in different programs to focus on different things. So you really can go in and shift the behavioral data to say, I don't want my 13-year-old addicted to screen. <laughs> like, like, I can actually go in there and I can change an algorithm, but I can also use the same exact machine to get them to do their homework. And it's really weird and cool. It's like, I, I, that's something that we can do and we have created. So we've created a behavioral analysis machine that we just put in our pocket. And it's kind of cool, but it's also a little bit scary. It is, you know, and it you you reminded me of something I was sharing when I was working with the district and it was like the first time I think truly kind of unpacking 
AI and I had them go in and use these tools for the first time. And I think their, their brains kind of oozed out of their ears because they just hadn't had time to sit with it. So we got in there and we were tinkering with it and not that prompting is the answer to everything, but we started working through the prompts and just trying to better understand how these generative large language models work so that we can start to formulate the next round of questions to figure out what it means for education. And, and, as you were talking, you reminded me because at first there was a lot of maybe uh, negative sentiments to what it could do. And then usually the, the minds start to shift a little bit, but it's no technology is good or bad. It, it, it's the humans behind it and how it's being used. And that's, you know, kind of what you're talking about there. And, you know, and maybe to move this in a, a bit of a positive direction as we think about this behavioral data, we think about the opportunities for AI. One of the things that I get really, really excited about is this kind of newer integration of hardware. It doesn't even have to be hardware, where we can start to leverage AI and algorithms and the technology to help those that maybe have something that in the past would have been a hindrance to them being successful in life. Take uh, hearing loss or being blind or maybe some sort of, of, of learning hurdle that they might have. And one example I, that I love sharing with, with, with educators is like there's a hearing aid that you can literally buy now that's got AI integrated that can you can fine tune to the voices you want that can actually like translate the language in real time. And so you don't have to know how to speak all the languages. And while they're not marketing education, I think about the beauty of a device such as that, where when we have a student move in from another country that doesn't know any English, like, you know, could you start to have hearing aids that well, at some point, it'll be like AirPods, like, you know, my own children, I think their AirPods are permanently like glued in their ears. But like that becomes just part of the natural fabric of life where we could have these devices. And it's not just playing music, but I can now communicate with other people, you know, I, I think, or you talked about the tutors. And so I think there's on the flip side, those with a positive mindset, man, there's some real incredible opportunities to, to leverage the playing field for a lot of folks that maybe, um, haven't always had that opportunity, you know, just due to the lack of technology and, and, and things available to them. I think you're right. Um, I think you're also onto something that is amazingly cool, which is how this technology came about. It's all problem solving. In a lot of adaptive technology, you mentioned people not being able to see or not being able to hear. I, I guess I didn't really think about it until I brought a group of high school kids that really wanted to become engineers, National Science Foundation. I don't know how that happened, probably because <laughs> he's awesome. But he took 15 minutes out of his day to sit with these high school kids that were looking at the ASU engineering program a couple summers ago. And all of the data that he was alluding to, he's like, that came from adaptive school. We created this stuff so that people could learn. So that people could do things they couldn't do before. And when you see somebody that has a different kind of ability, and in California, they use the term, you know, they, they don't never use special needs. That's, that's no longer PC in California. Right. You have to say learning differences. Mm. But those learning differences sometimes create strength. And those strengths are in the form of many different technologies. Now, that's how engineers look at problems, and that's how they solve them. So I think that you're right there. You're on the cusp, which is, how was AI created? It was to solve problems. How do you use this current generation, what we're on five for GPT, to create less problems and solve more problems? And I think that that's the mindset. Yeah, that's so spot on. Something I was I was sharing a video the other day uh, that I came across that is now becoming one of my favorites when I do training, whether it's on AI or just how do we create authentic learning experiences. And um, in, in the video, I'll put a link in the show notes for those that want to check it out. But long story short, short it, the, the teacher is framing it as like, think about your most extreme student who is maybe your most challenging or frustrating or the one you can't reach the most for whatever, whatever reason it might be. And he gets into exactly what you talked, what you're just talking about, like the, the design for accessibility. And um, within the video, it has something to do with AI, but in there he talks about how um, texting, we all text, we probably spend more time texting than actually talking to people anymore. Um, but that was an accessibility creation for um people who couldn't hear that are that are deaf and so they're able then to communicate that way and now it's just what we all do but it, it wasn't designed 
originally for all of us to communicate that way. You know, it was to, to, to serve a need um, for a communication divide that existed for those that had hard of hearing or, you know, were, were completely deaf. And the list can go on and on. They talk about like curb cuts that we all use when I roll my suitcase up on the curb when I go to a hotel or when I'm just walking across the street. You know, that was designed for people in wheelchairs. And now we all benefit from curb cut. Um, and so I, I, I keep thinking about these opportunities. Um, and to me, that's what's really exciting is as we continue to solve these things, we, we, we can all benefit no matter who we are, you know, regardless of uh, the learning difference or, or the things that maybe, you know, sometimes life deals us, um, you know, not the best of, of cards in our hand, but it doesn't mean that it can has to stop or, or impede our progress forward. If you don't mind, I'm going to take a step outside the classroom for a moment. Yep. And one of my favorite AI solutions that I've seen in the last year to three years, or oh, three years, so I think they started it way earlier than three years. They didn't have the AI tools more recently. How to look at a forest, right? There's that whole metaphor of a forest through the tree. Mm. Now, AI was used in forests, and it was able to actually help people understand how the rainforests are being, you know, preserved or not being preserved. And I think that those are the types of macro problems that AI has been working on. And students are now available in programs such as, uh, uh, we call it, so there's different different programs that do this, but you can use that data and you can bring that to the classroom and you can say, hey, listen, we have a big problem. This is a real problem. We need many ideas on how to solve it. Now, this is one way that we've used to solve it. Can you do that? And I think that a lot of times kids sometimes don't feel like they are empowered to solve these big problems, but yet they're given the information on we do have this thing that we need to solve. So I would say that a big part of it is when you have adaptive learning tools, you're bringing more people to the table to solve these problems. They might be at a different age. You might be in high school, but at least they're thinking about how to solve problems and they're learning the technology right away. So for them, they're the newest ideas to the table and some of the fastest learners. So I think that there's an enormous amount of positive energy that can also go along with how to use and implement the AI as long as, you know, they're not held back from it. And again, it's that same thing that you always have to keep in mind is like, is it true data? Is it false data? And that's having critical thinking skills. And that's, I think, where the teachers really do have to step in and say critical thinking. skills. We got to keep working on it. We have to keep understanding it. We have to do data analysis. We have to teach data analysis. So I just wanted to bring that in because it's like everybody benefits when everybody benefits, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I, you're so spot on. And I think all those things you just mentioned that we need to start to think about how to teach, everyone's going to benefit as a result of that. Because I think one of the things that um, has been missing in terms of when social media kind of hit society and all the things that come of social media good and bad is we as a society i don't think truly we're prepared for all the implications of social media and i still don't think we've quite got a handle on that and ai here is another opportunity for us to be what are we going to do with that and now starting to learn about data analytics misinformation disinformation what's real what's not how do we handle this what are the ethics behind it all these things are are really woven into like what does it mean to be a good human whether we're talking ai or not these conversations and these skill sets and mindsets apply to, to to anything in life um and so to me that is one of the exciting pieces as we start to teach that like we all become better as a society because we can build some of that awareness and some of these new skill sets and mindsets that I'm not going to say we've neglected, but we haven't really intentionally thought about how to weave into the education system. There's been so much, 10 million other things going on that we've had to process and deal with and try to figure out how to teach and, you know, throw COVID and things in there and all that other stuff. But here's an opportunity where we can kind of right the ship where, um, you know, maybe we, we drop the ball a little bit as a, as a society when it comes to, to social media. And I think those are some of the conversations that as we think about what is the purpose of school, you know, and what is the point of, of, of the work that we're doing? You know, hopefully those are topics that 
start to surface and, and get woven into the conversations of whatever we're teaching. It doesn't just have to necessarily be a, a side class. I think about social studies. Those topics apply to social studies all the time. You know, as we think about that in science and of course, language arts. And I mean, the list can go on and on. There's, there's very easy, applicable opportunities to start to embed these narratives and conversations into the curriculum that we're already teaching. I'm very curious, what has the feedback been like from your teachers in Iowa? Because you kind of have the opportunity to present this. How have your teacher learners been doing Mm -hmm. with the AI that you've been presenting? What kind of feedback have you got so far? Yeah, it's a great question. So, I mean, I think at the at this time of this recording, I think this year we've got a team, um, and we've probably ran. I think I think we we've crossed the the 30th threshold in terms of the amount of in service and workshops we've done. Some are one stop shops, some are ongoing. Uh, I think there's a little bit of uh, misconception when we start in terms of what they think it is and can be. And of course, like anything that you 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 bring some professional learning to, some have dove into it head over heels Um, some haven't touched it some won't touch it some are curious and so you get in there um, and where i've i've kind of shifted the work is thinking about mindset first how do we um, think about our mindset around ai before we get into trying to think about policy and things of that nature but you know how do we teach with ai how do we teach about ai and how do we prepare for a world with ai and those are kind of the lanes that i try to wrap the mindset around and then even through the resistance of stuff, what I have found to be working is if we start with like personal wins, how do they help them see where this is already impacting and existing in their life? And just quick examples can be, you know, Netflix catering the visuals on the screen to get you to, to watch a show. And I can log into my Netflix account and I can look for a show and it's going to show me a visual uh, my son could do it for the same show and he's going to have a different visual and it would be a different visual for my daughters because they're trying to cater to a different type of person. All the way we could talk about Alexa and then I get into stuff where you know I could take a picture of my refrigerator and it can scan the contents of my refrigerator and come up with recipes of what to make. And that you know usually is kind of fun, it's kind of lighthearted, but they start to see like, oh man, this stuff is could help me in my day-to-day. And that's not going to shift the education piece, but it opens up the mindset to at least be willing to explore. Then we try to get into the professional side, how it can leverage them for the professional work. You know, as we think about teacher burnout, uh, we can't find teachers, um, they're exhausted, uh, the grind is, is real. And so there's we start to build some momentum there. Um, and probably realistically where we are now, even even now at this point, is starting to think about, so what's that mean for students? If we're finding success and we're finding case uses for us as educators, how do we start to think about what that means for students? Now, obviously, if you're elementary, it's really, really tough because of the age thing that you talked about. As we think about middle school, and especially high school and college level, how do we start to leverage that? That's where it starts to get maybe a little dicey because now we're getting into teacher practice. We're getting into philosophy. Uh, maybe we have to kind of rethink how we've done things um, because the first thing that comes up is cheating and plagiarism. Um, and so some of the argument that I, I segue is if we're not teaching kids how to use AI, then we can't be upset if they're going to cheat with it. Like, what are we doing to empower them on how to use these tools? How are we explicitly teaching process of learning over turning in a, a product without checkpoints along the way. We start to get into some of that, which gets into the tale as old as time in education. How do we improve our instructional practices to, to meet the needs of all learners? And so AI, to me, the exciting piece is it brings us back to maybe some system changes that need to happen that um, haven't happened for quite some time. So that was kind of a long-winded answer, but I think we're, they're, they're moving along the continuum where a year ago, last year, was pure panic on cheating. Now it's more shifted to curiosity. What can this do? Um, I think they're starting, to, those that, once they have the awareness, they're starting to realize it is here. It's not coming. It's here. It's already here. We need to do something. Yeah, and I guess even just the way that you said that, you're explaining the fear. Mm-hmm. You're explaining the feeling of the teachers. You know, the idea, because... I like I liked our last teacher training. Um, the CEO said, 
teachers are control freaks. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't agree with that more. Yeah. And I think that's part of the teacher burnout mm. is because we're asked to be. Yeah. Not because you came in with the intention of being <laughs> control freaks. No one never did. But they asked us to look after 30 little individuals. And statistically, we have to make more decisions because we have 30 individuals plus in front of us um, every day than any other profession. Yeah. So when you are asked to answer that many questions in that short period of time, the human brain does something very interesting. It, it sure <laughs> it does. does. It does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> but it also it can be tiring. But um, most mostly of them have coffees. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's it, it, it is quite you know it's like how do you get past that fear of oh here's one more thing you have to learn to implement to show and make sure they can all. And make sure that they can all go through this process. Make sure they know how to read. Mm-hmm. And make sure that they know how to follow what the reading says in order to understand what it is, the information that we're giving them. Otherwise, it's just like, you know, it's all of those things. I think I, I mentioned in the outline, um, I have a, this this current five weeks, we're on like five to six weeks, that we do a certain science curriculum, and then we do a different one in the next five or six weeks. So it's kind of fun, and it changes up a bit. Um, but I had a student who mentioned to me, I have dysgraphia. And he was very apologetic. He's like, I'm sorry. I have mm. I'm like, oh, well, what, how can I help you? And I feel like a lot of times tools like AI is like, hey, I have a, a type of dysgraphia. But instead, I don't know how to use AI. I haven't learned how to do that yet. Or my brain doesn't quite know how to use all these different tools at once without becoming overwhelmed. Yeah. And I think limiting streets very pinpoint in your teaching environment. I mean, I think they, they use the idea of like, creating like a custom job that's what they're doing right they're creating a custom job of how to present this to this district or that district so you really have to bring on that aspect of how do you present this ai to be the best learning tool for this group so i hope that things like having students with dysgraphia can have technology in there just like we used to always have problems when we got spell checked and it's switched it for them. Now, we don't want to have to go that far with it, but some of the tools actually do. Yeah. And it's kind of amazing. Like, they have assisted readers. And I was very impressed with the newest version of Minecraft. Because um, we with the Engineering for Kids, we, do, we did Minecraft education over the, the winter break. Oh, yeah. um, and it just got released last week, this Minecraft AI. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. The first problem they asked them to solve, how do you get enough food to all of these kids? Like all these kids in line, just like really simple things. And how do you use AI to do that? But I thought it was a it was a really good way to look at it. You break it into smaller steps. You show kids how to solve those smaller steps. You show the teachers how to get the kids to solve those smaller steps and you move forward. And I like that aspect of like problem solving. How do you create more ways to solve more problems? But I think you also have to put a time limit on it. And I think that's the biggest challenge is always. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you've hit on such a key piece, you know, as we think about um, what this all means. I think at the end of the day, it, it, it comes back to that that human element and a phrase that I've been trying to frame through my own philosophy of, of education as I'm kind of like rethinking all of that is human pedagogy. And, you know, how do we how do we make sure that you know, looking at all the guidance documents from the White House and other countries, you know, the human is in, in the center of the loop. But really, you know, how are we taking care of the human? And then how can, you know, AI augment or, or, or play a role in, in ensuring that, you know, humans are being taken care of in, in, in positive ways? And so I love that you brought that up, you know, and even quickly as you're talking Minecraft and Microsoft, I mean, the amount of tools they have not just AI related, but their, their, their learning tools, the AI integration into all their suites, even take Minecraft with the immersive reader and the amount of things that are available for kids to be able to leverage Minecraft, uh, to be able to enjoy that experience is, is, you know, absolutely incredible. And so if people haven't seen those tools, I'll make sure I link in the show notes too, because it's definitely something, um, you know, worth exploring. And so a little bit, I want to be respectful of your time. We've, uh, we're nearing the, the end of our, our time here, but you know, speaking of the human element, something that I've wanted to integrate more into the podcast is making sure that not just a showcase of your ideas and thoughts, but also some of that that, that human side. We talked about beginning your your story, your kind of superhero journey, uh, and I kind of want to come back to that full circle. And so I've I've posed to you ahead of time, you know, kind of two 
new segments, so to speak, of, of the podcast. And so the first one is this. I asked you, you know, um, as we think about this, it doesn't have to be AI related, but, you know, I think about the, 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 the title of this podcast, Living on the Edge of Chaos, and how do we start to make some sense of that? Um, one of the first of the two I asked is, you know, what's one of the best pieces of advice that you've ever received? Yeah, I, I wrote it to you, and I'll say it again. Um, my older sister, because she she's observed me longer than anybody else. Like she got to see me, hopefully to the grave, but we'll see how that goes. <laughs> hopefully, she's got more plans in her mind than watching me to the grave. But you know, that's that's sibling for you. Um, but yeah, I think that the middle child perspective, she's always like put the hammer. Mm. The idea of like we are the hardest on ourselves, mm. and I don't think that you have to be but it is something to hear it from an external source of, hey, be kinder to yourself. And I think that the folks in San Francisco have that as part of their ethos, mm. is you know, be kind to each other. And I think that as hard as that experience you know, was for me in terms of my education, um, a lot of that had nothing to do with the kids or the educators. It was just you know, everybody was going through a hard time. And then, you know, be kinder to yourself mm. and i i know that that can sound very self-focused but put the hammer away is it stop beating yourself up for what you don't know yet you're here to learn but you're also here to participate and part of that is you're going to have failure that comes up mm. is how you deal with that that makes the difference and you don't give up you keep going forward so put the hammer away friends <laughs> like keep yeah. going forward it's so good it's so spot on i think giving ourselves permission to to be vulnerable to try new ideas but at the same time you know there's 18 million different quotes of, of what i'm going to say but it fits right into there you know sometimes we can be our own worst enemy and so i think that's uh some some sage advice there from your 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 sibling and so uh that's a great one so i appreciate you sharing and to wrap up before we let people know where to follow you and find your work because you've brought some great insights and obviously I have loved learning and, and following your work and insights. So I want to make sure people have that. But before we, we, we put that in there, the last thing that I want to bring out is a chance for you to give a, a, a rant or a rave. I'll leave it up to you. It doesn't even, it can be on, on anything you want. And I've, I know I framed it up to you ahead of time, book, TV show, movie, topic, current event, something that's awesome. Something that maybe is, it's frustrating. Again, this is just part of this, this human element in the human storyline. And so, you know, I'll give you, uh, you know, the last kind of quick word here before people can, can follow you and, and learn more where you're at. But, uh, you know, what's on, on top of mind? Something you're exciting about or something that you are, are frustrated about? Uh, it can be either or. Or a combo. I'll let you uh, phrase it how you want. Thank you. So I'll, I'll just quote, quote a physics proof that the universe is in world. Mm. I remember sitting at the library in college and I was really working hard on something. And then suddenly at the top of the recycling bin, I saw some physics kid had thrown away their stuff and a proof was sitting in front of me that the universe is in world. I love that. Like the idea that nothing is static, everything changes and to be okay with that. So I, I would say that some of the coolest changes from uh, some of the folks on LinkedIn uh, one of one of my uh, connections that I sent you uh, was a tool they created in Kuwait for their international environmental science students to use AI on uh, for environmental sensors. And I thought that was the coolest thing. So I literally sent it via email to my friend at the Nature Conservancy in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And I'm like, put this on a drone, go into the canopy. Bring your kids, have fun, go get data. Like, like seriously, like how do you, you get excited because you see the real world application. And I would say for any new tool, like take a second and look at how it affects the real world and you won't be scared. Like, yes, there's all these cool changes that are coming, but how to utilize these really cool, amazing tools and to give acknowledgement to the people that are creating them. And again, this is an educator and her husband that just said, I need a better way to solve problems with my students in AP environmental science. And I'm just like, yeah, do it. Go for it. Check it out. You never know. Right. But um, yeah, don't give up. I think that's kind of like the biggest message, especially when learning new tools like AI and understand that it's integrated into most things. Um, I would probably try to build what's called a sandbox. That's not something I know how to do yet, but I know for the NASA Endeavor program, when they created the the new um program that's uh, coding robotics and one-on-one -on -one devices, they added AI. 
So the newer cohort is learning AI as teachers is just part of their program. Mm. And I think that's kind of amazing because then they're going to go forward and teach AI in their classroom with their students. So I'm kind of like, you go, guys. Yeah. You do your thing. <laughs> yeah, that's my rant and my rave. No. But yeah, it can be scary. It's also like, don't be scared once you start to see that everything always changes. I love that. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. I love that universe and world. I might have to uh, steal that and learn up on it. So I appreciate you sharing. It kind of fits into the the whole ethos of my living on Edge of Chaos podcast. So that's that's perfect. You know, Elizabeth, this has been great. This has been fantastic. I'm so glad we finally get to actually just have a verbal conversation after uh, back and forth on LinkedIn. And I know um, we've we've referenced LinkedIn, but you know, as we wrap up here, if people want to know more about you, I mean. I know LinkedIn. Uh, I'll put the link in there. Is that the best place, or are there other places to check out if, if people want to uh, connect and, and and follow your journey and, and all that you have to share? Thank you. I would say for um, students in Indiana, because you mentioned you're from Indiana, I also love to volunteer with Purdue. Mm. Their uh, PhD program in engineering does an amazing outreach in the summer. So they send really cool learning kits. Um, and I gave you the link for their Techie Times. Now, that was, again, just totally random luck. A friend of a friend was like, I know you're a STEM teacher. Do you want to do this? And I went, I was like, yeah. And then, of course, last summer I was actually teaching during that time. So I I couldn't, but the two summers before that, I definitely did. So since you're from Indiana, I'll push the Indiana. But yeah, I would say that, you know, of course, Science Matters in America is where I'm currently uh, helping out. And then um, there is Engineering for Kids in Phoenix. They're at, like, Want to say this is their eleventh year. So, um, science matters in America. This is their twentieth year. Uh, engineering for kids is their eleventh year, and most of what they do, it's just fun. Like again, it's all one hundred percent engagement. So yes, always give respect and time to your classroom teachers, but always just embrace the third space as well, which is giving your kids outdoor experiences, having fun with them outside, using these hands-on tools, and letting them socialize and connect to solve these problems. So I think that that's kind of the biggest thing. Yes, you can find me on LinkedIn, but more importantly, what works for you and what works for your students and what works for your families? Like, just go forward from there. And have fun. Wow, I love it. And I think that is a, a perfect little mic drop to uh, end our show on. So thank you so much for all the insights and taking time to chat with me and connect and, and share all that you do. And, and I appreciate all that you're doing to to help education and help teachers. And so continue uh, the great work moving forward. And I uh, can't thank you enough for this wonderful conversation. Of course, Aaron, you take care. Hey, hey, hey. Woke up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Chaos.